Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Boom, boom, you're in the Doom Room, a podcast all about Doom Patrol on HBO Max. Each episode of the podcast will break down the big moments on the show, talk about comic book origins and Easter eggs, and tell you which character is the most doomed. Hosted by Justin, Pete, and Alex of the long-running Comic Book Club podcast, episodes roll out weekly, or you can listen to the first three seasons with over 34 episodes right now at patreon.com slash comic book club. The Doom Room. I'm doomed. You're doomed. We're all doomed. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this week. Kick it off with The Amazing Spider-Man number one from Marvel, written by Sam Wells. Art by John Romita Jr. Now, this is, I think, the 56th Amazing Spider-Man number one that I've experienced in my lifetime. So that's a big wow. record for me. Yeah, that, congrats. Thank you so much. Uh, but all joking aside, once again, we are rebooting Spider-Man. This is another big, bold take. Spoilers here, but we kick it off with Spider-Man costume ripped in a crater alone, screaming. And then we cut to months later when he is down and out. Everybody seems angry at him. Nobody wants to spend time with him. Uh, And he is getting lost in a criminal conspiracy involving Tombstone and a couple of other villainous characters. There's a big twist at the end that I'm sure we'll get to in a moment here. But more than anything, I'm sure there's stuff you're upset about, Pete, that you'll rant about in a second. But I do want to say Zeb Wells... Great writer, killing it on Black Cat, killing it on a ton of their other, other stuff. So if I was going to have somebody reboot Amazing Spider-Man with a bold new take, great choice there. And John Romita Jr., classic Spider-Man artist, again, doing great work here with all these characters. So it's a really, really good team on this book. Again, I think there's some stuff that we'll probably get to in the end that is controversial, but also... They're trying to push your buttons here. They're trying to get you talking. They're trying to move Spider-Man forward. And frankly, I'm way more into this than I was into the Ben Riley Beyond era. So this is pretty successful to me in terms of getting me re-interested in Spider-Man once again, which is the point of doing these sort of things. So it's working for me on that level. Pete, take it away with your Yellathon, I assume. Well, uh, you know, I don't like it when you assume those things, Uh, but... Uh, Am I, I do, about to be pleasantly surprised? 
Uh, I, I, no, yes. Uh, I just think uh, John Romita is, uh, you know, junior here on the art is just it classic. Makes me think of Spider Man. Uh, just such amazing art. Um, and yeah, we kind of see him in a crater of his own emotions in the beginning. We don't know really what's going on. Uh, I like Tombstone. I like that kind of stuff that's going on here. But we just kind of have Spider-Man being a dick. And I get it. Like, something happened. We're not sure what's up. And then, like, after a long night of fighting crime, he accidentally looks like calls MJ. And she is not happy about it. And then it seems like maybe they're getting a divorce. Which, hey... We're taking Spider-Man in different directions, but you just took MJ away from us for so long. And and now, like, here's a reboot. There's an opportunity, like, hey, maybe we can get MJ back. Maybe we can kind of, like, what Spider-Man's deal going to be. Like, the fact that, like, it's, it's starting this way, is it's tough. It's it's a tough choice. There's a, uh, there's a lot going on, so I'm not sure how to feel yet. Um, but I am loving the art and I love the action. It was kind of cool to see Spider-Man like on top of the car and stuff. There's a lot of fun, like creative art choices that are being made here in the panels and stuff. So, uh, so far I'm not like, you know, I don't want to, you know, rip it in half and like, you know, throw my computer out a window or anything, but, uh, I'm, I'm cautiously, uh, moving forward, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not happy. This is like a glowing review from you, Pete, is uh, just to interpret a little bit there. Also, to clarify, they weren't married at this point, so it's not a divorce. They were just in a relationship for a while. Here, what we get, the big spoiler that happens at the end, is that MJ is seen with some other guy. There's two kids. One of them looks a lot like her. They're calling her Bobby. So the implication is that somehow... She has two kids in this intervening time or something like that. She doesn't want to talk to Peter Parker. I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of twists and turns that are going to happen here that are going to redefine what we think or what we're supposed to think is happening. But again, I think in terms of making you feel uncomfortable, making you feel like, what is going on here? How did this happen? This is a good mystery. And as long as they do provide answers at a frequent clip, I think this is going to be very successful, but a lot of that is going to be in how it turns out over the course of the next couple and of Just issues. as long as the glider isn't the father, I'll be all right. Oh, man. It is always tough when you find out a glider is the father. You know yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because that's like, that's not, he's not going to be a good dad. No. That's a vehicle, not a human being. Right. I, I guess, uh, you know, I shouldn't. Your dad was a car, out. right? Did I get that wrong? Yeah. Yeah. He was a car, so what? he wasn't a good dad. No, he was all right. You know, I mean, I didn't believe that mustache that looked fake, but I wasn't going to say anything about it. Oh, your dad was a lift? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah, he worked for a living, Zalbin. All right. Sorry. My dad was uh, an Uber. So he also worked for, I don't know. Let's move on. Justice League number 75 from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Rafa Sandoval. This is another big issue. Huge! Huge! This time from DC. This is the death of the Justice League. Spoiler, spoiler dude. Jesus. I mean, they You should sold have said it. spoiler and then said that line. They sold it. The cover is death of the Justice League. So I think you can figure it out. But... The spoiler here is the Justice League does, in fact, die, and it's going to kick off the dark 
Crisis storyline, where it's the entire DC Universe versus Pariah from the original Crisis on Infinite Earths. What did you think about this kickoff here? First off, art is bananas good. It is just amazing, absolutely fantastic. This is like classic DC kind of like action here. I love how intense it is, how quick it moves. Um, yeah, I really thought the paneling was great. Um, and just the 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 fact, you know, because sometimes you're like, Ooh, Justice League dies in this one or Death of Justice League. And then like the fact that first issue, bam, we get it. Uh, I was impressed. I was like, this is exciting. This is cool. Uh, I'm enjoying how this is all going down. And, um, yeah, I thought it was well done. And uh, I thought, like, lived up to the hype. And I'm I'm very interested to see what happens from here. This is, like you're saying, I feel like very classic DC crossover to the point that it feels like the sort of thing that could have come out in the 90s or the 2000s. You got deep DC continuity, lots of stuff going on. Like you said, it does feel very big. I don't think for a second they've killed off the Justice League permanently because, again, this is you know my 56th or so death of the Justice League type thing that's gone on. But at the same time, Joshua that was Williamson... Spider-Man. That, you were saying that for Spider-Man. Don't bring I know. It's the same thing, though. Like I oh. almost think... It's the same thing where Spider-Man is doing these remix things, but it is feeling a little fresh to me here on Justice League 75. It feels very classic to me, not in a bad way, because I do like that stuff, but it feels like the sort of thing that I have read before, you know? So, Well, I I disagree a little bit. I think that they're doing it in a familiar kind of like, oh shit, what's going to happen thing. But there is a little kind of nuance to it that does make it feel, and whether that's the art or just kind of like uh, the storytelling, I think it does feel a little bit kind of like, okay, maybe we've seen this before, but it's it definitely feels a little like, okay, there's going to be a different take. It definitely makes me interested for what's coming next, frankly, even more than this kickoff. Like, this feels yeah. like the thing they need to get through to show what is going on with Pride, yeah, what's exactly. going on with the Great Darkness. Very interested in, like, this young, new version of the Justice League. I think that's going to be a lot of fun with all of the folks that have been raised and grown up through DC history. So that should be neat. So I, I'm going to read it. I like this stuff. I like comics. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Next up, let's talk something totally new, Bloodstained Teeth. Number one from Image Comics, written by Christian Ward, art by Patrick Reynolds. This issue is about a world where vampires are real. Whoa, and, spoilers. Spoilers. And uh, vampires it's this are world real. because vampires are real here. Oh, man. Blade is real. Okay, you took it a little too far, but uh, in this world, we follow a vampire who's all party, party, party time. He hits a wall in terms of his parties and gets set on a very specific mission by the end. Uh, And uh, Pete, what'd you think about this one? Well, this is really fun, tripped out art. I love the kind of like the panelings and the kind of style to this vampire world is very cool. Um, They did some really cool things with the shadowing and the kind of reveal of characters. Uh, I think that as far as the number one goes, this does a great job of grabbing the reader's attention, setting up this crazy kind of vampire world, giving us this kind of, uh, uh, you know, main character that may or may not be the person we're going to be kind of following through this. But uh, yeah, I think uh, 
Great job. I, I'm excited to get, read more. I'm interested. I think that the story is cool enough, even though we've seen a ton of vampire shit. Um, yeah, you know. I yeah, guess vampires- I, I agree with you. I just wanted to throw in, I agree with you on the art, and in particular, the coloring is really nice yes. in this book. You expect a vampire book to be in blacks and whites and reds, but there's a lot more going on here, and I really appreciated that. And also, it feels... And I don't say this derogatorily, it feels like a good TV pilot where it sets up this world, sets up the stakes, sets up the mission, and then we're kind of going from there. So I was super into this as well. This seemed, uh, like you said, very fun. It was much lighter than I expected. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a good time, and I'm excited about the second issue. Let's move on and talk about Thor number 24 from Marvel, written by Donny Cates, Walter Simonson, Dan Jurgens, J. Michael oh, Straczynski, Al Ewing, and Jason Aaron. Art by Nick Klein, Walter Simonson, Dan Jurgens, Oliver Quapel, Lee Garbett, and Dan Past- Das Pastoros. Excuse me. This is, spoiler, uh, though this already happened, Odin is dead. Oh, and in man. this issue, we're getting his funeral. We're getting a couple of stories from classic Thor teams that pay tribute to the character of Obin, Odin with a twist and tease for the future by the end here. Pete, what do you think about this one? Yeah, this was really cool. I mean, first off, the arts bananas and the different stories. You got different art, artists. This is just kind of like a who's who of uh, writing on Thor. And it's really magical. And a lot of the stories are really great and kind of dealing with the death here and what's that mean for Thor and kind of the the story that we had the kind of a funeral scene was very powerful and uh kind of this thing of like you know would you be able to set your dad on fire you know what I mean and uh you know Thor tough guy had a hard time he leaned on Loki and was just like Loki can you help me out you know and it's uh it's very interesting, you know. It was kind and of for a, you if you were going to set your dad on fire. Would you start with the mustache first, or would you just firebomb the car in the back seat? Well, I'm glad you asked that. I mean, I would want to pay respect and go mustache first. I think you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got yeah. to go respect, man. Got to go respect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I agree with you. Uh, my my main stopping point with this issue is I could frankly care less about the character of Odin. This is not what? something. It's not something that I feel emotional about in any way. I'm sorry. But I do like these teams, and it's nice seeing them work together. Walter Simonson, you got me at that. Yeah, come on. So that's great. Really like the Al Ewing, Lee Garbage story about Loki in particular. I thought that was really neat and very emotional. Uh, And overall, just a really good package. Right. But uh, would you be able to light your dad on fire? Already did, bro. Whoa. Trial of the Amazons, number two from DC Comics, written by Becky Cloonan, Michael W. Conrad, Vita Ayala, Stephanie Williams, and Joelle Jones. Art by Elena Casagrande, Laura Braga, Skylar Patridge, Adriana Mello, and Joelle Jones. Despite the numbering on the issue, this is actually the seventh part of Trial of the Amazons, finishing up the crossover that brings all of the Wonder Woman characters together. Pete, we've talked a lot about this crossover. How do you think it all ended up? Well, I tell you, I really love the action, and I also really, I, I think it ended up really in an interesting place that I'm excited about. I also really love the kind of use of colors in this, like the dark, shadowy kind of villain characters, and then the crazy bright, like overexposed hero stuff was r- such a really cool look. Uh, and this kind of like, 
I wanted the the I wanted the trial to go on a little bit because I like the setup of it, but I'm also excited to see kind of where we go uh, from here. I I agree. I think my reservations here were because of the fractured nature of the way they did the storytelling. This event was a little all over the place, and there were parts that I liked better than others. But the parts that I liked, I really liked, and I'm still into the Wonder Woman books. Joelle yeah. Jones's art is great. Having Wonder Woman and Yara Flores finally really meet and interact in a significant yeah, way was that great. was nice. Though. Very yeah. nice. Very fun. Um, and yeah, like I'm into these titles, I think I'm more into where they're going next than I was necessarily into this crossover, but I'm glad it happened. It was obviously a big deal historically. So now we can move back into the individual yeah. titles from there. And Becky Cloonan's killing it. So it's exciting. Absolutely. Something is killing the children. Number 22 from Boom Studios, written by James Stein the fourth art by Werther Dadaria. This is the second part of this arc that takes our main character to a new locale and a new monster. We're spending a lot of time fleshing out the characters and how they're different from the first arc here. Meanwhile, there are some other members of the House of Slaughter that are hot on her tail. So that's all going to come crashing together. Pete, how are you feeling about this arc so far? Yeah, I mean, this is great. This continues to be an epic, epic uh, uh, title. And uh, they are absolutely just artistically just telling a hell of a story and uh, uh, amazing kind of like character work that they're doing here. Uh, I love the kind of like this like adorable little kind of like stuffed animal that has this demon inside is such a fun kind of thing to play with. But we kind of have all this stuff about to happen to our main character. So this issue is a lot of kind of like setup and kind of like showing the character in this new place and kind of like getting the lay of the land, which I really appreciate. It's fun to see, uh, this main character kind of work and work people and work the system. So, it's very cool. I'm loving it. I am absolutely, uh, you know, as soon as I see this on my pull list, I get very excited and it delivers. Knights of X, number one from Marvel, written by Teeny Howard, art by Bob Quinn. In this, we are focusing on Otherworld and some a little bit of time travel and some knights, as you can tell from the title, and dragons and Merlin and things like that. Pete, I know this is not necessarily your favorite part of the X universe, and you're not particularly into the X-Men titles at all, but did this work for you in any capacity? Well, I'll tell you, you know, like, uh, you know, Captain Britain to me is always like, oh, yeah. And like, oh, yeah, you know what? I like this character. I should read more about I should get more into this. And like, I think this is got cool moments, but it's tough because it's like also struggling because it's in that, the, you know, they're still dealing with the X-Men and where they are and the Hump Island and all this bullshit and the same stupid fonts and stuff. So, like, I don't know. Like, I'm hoping it's going to get better. I thought this was a good issue. I'm I'm hoping for more. To me, despite the setting, this felt like more classic X-Men than a lot of the other stuff we've been getting from the line. It felt like there's a lot of dense plotting and storytelling and a ton of things going on and a ton of interpersonal character relationships, some crazy action as well. So I enjoyed this, um, but thank you for your thoughts, Pete. 
The <laughs> Joker, number 14, from DC Comics, written by James Tynion IV and Alex Pachnadel, art by Giuseppe Camincoli and Vasco Georgiev. This is the second to last issue of Pan The Joker. Ultimate. Where... We're now catching up with events where we left them off with our cannibal Holocaust to Baines. James Gordon did something to the Joker, or maybe not. We don't know, but we're following that. And then we get a new story of Punchline as the backup. Um, I'll tell you what. First of all, this continues to be great. I love the way that they roll out information here. Like, I was kind of annoyed initially when we had jumped ahead of everything and we were going to do everything in flashback. But the way we piece out information in this issue and presumably the next issue is great and tense and it just ramps up the tension immeasurably. I don't know how they're going to wrap this up, but I'm very excited. And in terms of the backup, I know you're all in on Punchline. I have never been into the character, not really gotten her. I thought this story was great. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Okay, first off, uh, let's let's talk about this. the The Joker continues yeah, to be, be this let's talk about like this title that we're talking. About. Uh, this continues to be just like crazy, edgy, and dark in ways that I was like, "Oh shit!" Like Batman's pissed at Jim. Like he is like, oh, he's oh, what's he gonna do? Like I'm nervous for their relationship, and I like, did Jim go over the line on this? Like, is he like, I don't know. Like this has been, it's very exciting. The art's unbelievable. This is such a cool story, and in su- uh, such great hands. I'm so happy we're getting this story. This is just really intense and I'm enjoying the shit out of it. And these the two Banes and the back and forth, that's if you would have told me about it, I'd have been like, what? But it's really, really enjoyable in this. And uh yeah, backup's all right. But um uh I'm having a great time on this book. Man, that's really interesting. Ghost Cage number two from Image Comics written by Nick Dragon. Ghost Cage. Caleb Golner, art by Nick Jergoda. In this book, we are following a factory worker who is fighting their way up to the top of the factory through various gigantic machine things. Ghost cage! By a creature and a ghost, and there's other things that are impeding her. The action on this is bonkers, over-the-top, crazy manga influenced beyond anything else. It is a wild read and it's wild to look at. Pete, what did you think about it though? Ghost cage. I think this is like, first off starts with this heartbreaking voicemail, this kind of like somebody putting it all out there and then getting to tap, get ta- you're like losing their head. Uh, I couldn't, couldn't say that word for some reason, but uh, this is just Unbelievable art, some crazy storytelling. I love this package. I think this is a a really fantastic book. And so far, it's been really delivering. Berserker, number eight from Boob Studios, written by Keanu Reeves and Matt Kent, art by Ron Garney. This is finishing up the first arc of this book, and uh, I don't know necessarily if there's another one coming. I believe they're finishing off here, but they certainly leave it open for the future in a big way if they want to at the end here. But this wraps up a lot of the mysteries of the first eight issues. I thought this title was phenomenal. I was really impressed with the action here. I was really impressed with the storytelling. Of course, you expect that from Matt Kent and Ron Garney, but uh, Keanu Reeves doing a self-insert character here completely worked. This is a great eight issues that anybody should pick up. Pete, 
Do you agree? I do agree. I think this is... Uh, has been from start to finish a really badass uh, kind of take on this thing. Uh, we've seen a couple different times, but man, uh, great last panel, unbelievable art, over the top action throughout. Uh, yeah, this has been really impressive. I mean, it was like, okay, what is going on? What is this team up? But man, uh, have I been impressed and surprised with this. Carnage number two for Marvel, written by Ram V, art by Francesco Mana. In this issue, we are following a police detective who is tangling with Carnage, who is now free of Cletus Cassidy and is on a mission of its own as a symbiote. The mission is revealed this, uh, I was about to say, episode, but I mean issue. <laughs> and uh, we get some illumination there. Also, as I predicted, not too much of a shock, but the police defective has been infected as well by the Carnage symbiote. So there's a balance of power shift there. I had a good time reading this title. It's pretty messed up, pretty upsetting. The art is really good. I'm surprised how much I'm liking a Carnage book. What about you, Pete? Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised how much I'm liking in this Carnage book, but man, this is a great book. The art is bananas. You get some really, they do such a great job of balancing like this creepy kind of character and, and horror and over the top stuff, but also these small moments that are also so powerful and creepy and amazing. Like, uh, it's really impressive. And then they kind of like other villain reveal at the, at the end of this. Really cool. We're going to get some team ups here. Uh, this is very exciting. Yeah, this is great. Rogues, number two from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, Rogues. art by Leo Max. This tells the story of the rogues in the not too far future, but uh, when they are over the hill. And they're trying to do one last score by robbing Gorilla Grodd and Gorilla City. It's very fun. It's very silly. It's very profane. But I'm having a good time reading this book. And Leo Max art is great and cartoony in the right ways. Pete, what about you? I agree. This is really good. This is so much fun. Like it's, it's, it's this kind of like balance of kind of like cartoony, but also kind of sad. It's this fun, but kind of like sad future for these characters that is kind of like heartfelt and, and uh, optimistic. And you, you are pulling for these villains to to pull off a horrible thing here and uh, you, you any moment you feel like it's going to go horribly wrong but man this is uh, this is a great ride and does such a great job of using the rogues in such a cool creative way i think this is such a smart book and so far has been uh, uh first two issues have been phenomenal leadership the final frontier these are the voyages of the starfleet leadership academy its ongoing mission to develop leaders through Star Trek. To boldly go where no podcast has gone before. A leadership development podcast told through the lens of Star Trek. The Starfleet Leadership Academy. Available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Step by Bloody Step, number three from Image Comics, written by Cy Spurrier, art by Matthias Bergara. This book is about a girl and the giant who is tagging along with her, traveling through a weird post-apocalyptic wasteland. This issue, things seem to be going right for them, and they go horribly wrong. The other thing that I'll mention is this is told entirely without English language, at least. So essentially a silent book, as far as we're concerned. Pete, you're freaking out here. Take it away. 
words. You don't need no fucking words to tell oh a story, God. man. You this also is, don't need to curse, Pete. Go fuck yourself. This is so much fun. Just letting the art tell the story. Uh, letting us picture what is being said or imagine what is being said. You don't need words, man. Let this just just the unbelievable characters and their faces tell you what's happening. Uh, I love this. I absolutely love this. I hope this is the future of comics. All this blah, blah, blah and fucking thought balloon bullshit. We don't need it. I think what you just said is crazy, but I also agree that this book is great. Really, really well done. The art is gorgeous by Matthias Berger. Bergara. Love the designs, love the layout. This issue is a real gut punch emotionally as well. Um, So I love this one. I think this is my favorite issue so far. If you haven't picked up this book, definitely get on top of it. Great read. Next up, Punisher number two from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron. Okay. Uh, Art by uh, Jesus Saez and Paul Azaceda. Big spoiler here for the last issue, but we found out that the Punisher is working for the hand because they resurrected his wife, which is where we pick up here. We find out a little bit more about what's going on with her, but a lot of bit more about what's going on with the Punisher and why the hand wants him and how far back that goes yeah. in Frank Castle's history. This is phenomenal character-defining work by Jason Aaron, and the art is matching. Pete, you're the resident Punisher fan, though. How are you feeling? Uh, first off, holy fucking shit. Like, this is such a deep dive into the character of Punisher. We see him as a kid, which I don't know if we saw. I mean, maybe we've seen a little bit of, but, like, kind of really seeing this character develop and also like the hand, like maybe shaped the Punisher from the beginning, like could have been the reason that is the Punisher. Like, because uh, we get this creepy old lady who sees him as a kid and knows, and is kind of pulling the strings early, which, um, you know, kind of sucks, but well, hold on. Can I just throw in there? So the old lady who is working with the hand right now is clearly manipulating the Punisher in certain uh, aspects. But what we find out on this issue is he was kind of always like that. Like it wasn't, it wasn't what happened sorry, in that what? park. It wasn't he what was happened. He was always in- kind of what? What are you trying to say? Violent, a murderer. We find out that he keeps knives. He killed people back when he was a teen. So it wasn't the park that did it to him. It just sort of gave him an excuse. It let him loose on the world. Which is different than... Yes. Yeah. So it's like, this is very interesting because they're taking maybe my favorite character of all time and kind of like changing things about him, which I'm kind of like nervously... Uh, excited about, but also like, don't you fucking ruin the Punisher for me. Like, this is very scary, but also very cool what's happening. And I'm very nervous they're about changing it. him so much as they gave him a completely new costume, made him work for an evil organization and tweaked his history. So he was always the Punisher and the picnic in the park isn't important, but otherwise it's the, like the same character, right, Pete? 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Changing the character completely. <laughs> so, no, I legitimately think what Jason Aaron here is doing here is like pushing on the character. Like he's pushing it to be like, how much can we do before we break it? Let's keep going. Let's keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And maybe it will go too far. But like, I love that. I love how much he's challenging the character of Frank Castle right now, just as a concept. And I trust Jason Aaron enough to make it work. So I'm very excited to see where this goes. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to see where this goes. I'm also very nervous. Like the whole thing with his wife and the fact that she still has like bullet holes and stuff like that is really intense and like uh, very dark. Um, also, like, I, yeah, there's just a lot here. And then he has to like kneel before uh, this kind of like devil God, which it cuts away from. But before we see if. I was like, I don't know if the Punisher would ever kneel to somebody like it cuts away. So I don't know if we'll ever get to see that. But like, that would be fucked up. But man, this is just uh, it's it's very interesting. I am like each page. I'm like, oh, God, what's happening? (laughs) Uh, But man, it is uh, it's kind of it's very exciting to see Jason Aaron kind of working his magic. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see if like we get through all this and I'm going to be like, yes, this is definitely worth it. And uh, hopefully I'm not going to be like, why would you do this to me? Maybe a little bit of both. Next oh, up, Dark man. Knights of Steel, number six from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Yasmin Putri. In this, we are steadily heading towards war in our medieval set DC universe as people are starting to figure out exactly what went on with Supergirl and her murderous tendencies. We find out that Superman is maybe not as bad as we thought as Batman is recovering in the background. Um, I really like this. This is definitely a transitory issue. Like this is setting up some plot pieces and chess pieces before we go, but I'm still really enjoying this run quite a bit. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. This is a really great story, but the art is amazing. This is fun to see these characters kind of in these old-timey kind of setup and what that kind of means in different ways for different people. I think this is just a fun idea to kind of play out and to see what happens. I'm having a great time with this. Rogue Son, number three from Image Comics, written by Ryan Parrott, art by Abel. This is following our jerk with Sun Powers, who is fighting some supernatural monsters. In this issue, we unravel a lot more about who killed the original Rogue Son. I'm really digging this, and I, I know we've already talked about Radiant Black and Radiant Red and yep. Rogue Son, but... I'm at the point where I'm like, yo, this is a new superhero universe that I like every title from, and everybody should be checking this out. And that makes me very happy. Oh, that's nice. I'm very happy, Pete. Yeah. I mean, I I just worry a little bit about like you reading this and then being like a, a parent and kind of like where your head's going a little bit. Uh, if but- my kids kill me, it's all good, bro. <laughs> uh, okay, it's cool, all cool. Good. Especially if you get like a cool ghost form and kind of like a green hue, that would be pretty awesome. That'd be sweet. I'd love to yeah. be a green ghost. Yeah. I'd love to be Slimer. Let's be oh, honest. As many I'm hot gonna... dogs as I want. Oh, the that's dream. What that's the what I'm saying. Dream. Uh, but yeah, also like they've had such like kind of like with the radiant and and kind of like with the rogue son, there's these kind of clean lines on our heroes and maybe villains. 
and having this kind of like goopy evil guy kind of like and and have this guy like punch him and be kind of like ew like was such an interesting cool thing like i i really enjoyed the contrast there and what's going on um and the kind of father son you know you don't understand me i'm not this isn't a drug dealer like this is my friend and these are how our friends dress like what the fuck dad you know it's got like a fun kind of feel to it you know what i mean like fathers you know are really kind of dicks when you think about it yeah fathers are dicks fathers are cars any of that stuff could be going on there i'm the trying swamp- to get you to something you get nothing you give me nothing <laughs> the Swamp Thing, number 12, from DC Comics, written by Ram V, art by Mike Perkins. In this issue, we have our folks are trying to rescue the Swamp Thing from being trapped mm-hmm. in the green. Meanwhile, the backgrounds of real bad forces are gathering. As usual with this book, the real hero to me, nothing against Ram V, is Mike Perkins' art. I mean, which come on. Is, I mean, come out. I, I always like to say it's bananas good, you know? <laughs> that, that's my catchphrase. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a great one. Uh, I just, yeah, I mean, the 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 art is unbelievable. And you have such interesting panels in this. Like, the shot of, uh, you know, spoilers, obviously, but, like, Swamp Thing's head and this woman's hand, it's, like, such a powerful, amazing panel. Um the 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 kind of the just the shot of Swamp Thing's face, uh, you know, and the line he says like all manner of things are rising, like oh my god, so cool. Uh, and plus, you got Jack Hawksmore in this. That's my guy. Um, so I was very. This is just a a, a fantastic comic. Um, I loving what's happening in the Swamp Thing right now. They're killing it. We have Demons, number two, from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Capullo. This takes place in a world where demons and angels are real, and they're locked in an eternal battle. Or more specifically, humans who have been infected by these things are locked in the battle. We are following one girl who is slowly finding out about this. As usual, with a Scott Snyder book, there's a deep mythology and so much thought going on here. Greg Capullo's art is over the top, and... I just love how they push each other. Like, maybe this is from interviewing them and uh, multiple times for our show and things, but, like, I think you get the sense that Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo is, like, pushing Scott Snyder to be like, come on, man, let's, be, let's make it more metal. Man. Come on, let's really fuck some shit up. Let's make it fucking crazy bad. And Scott's like, well, I have this world planned out, and, like, I'm planning out this thing. like, yeah, then the fucking demon, like, fucking explodes, and let's do it. <laughs> I'm not saying, like, I don't know Greg Capullo nearly as well as I do Scott Snyder, but I get the sense that that's their relationship, and I love it, and it works so perfectly, because it really is like this brain and broad that works perfectly together, and I'm just having such a blast reading this book. This book is so intense, man. Like, there is just some insane things that happen on, like, the plane stuff was so insane. Like, the just the shot of those creepy little kids before they jumped. Like, I was like, holy shit. Like, this is great. This is just so much action, so intense. But it's also interesting that we're kind of learning about the character through all this madness. So, uh, yeah, kudos to a team that really does a great job of balancing insane art with some really cool writing. Uh, Yeah, this is just the total package. 
Detective Comics number 1059 from DC Comics, written by Mariko Tamaki, Nadia Shamas, and Sina Grace. Art by Ivan Rice and David Lapham. Now, I thought it was worth checking this out because we loved the last two arcs, the Arkham Tower arc and the House of Gotham arc. Now we are kicking off two new stories in this book. So, Pete, you were a big fan of the last one. You sold us on it. Are you going to sell us on this one as well? Well, this is uh, another great setup here, right? We have the Riddler versus Batman. And also what's really fun is we get Bruce Wayne gets a little screen time here. He gets uh, it's interesting to see the kind of Bruce Wayne choices that are being made, which is nice. Yeah, I'm having a great time with this. This is really just great art. Some cool ideas being played out here in the Bat Universe. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I liked it as well. I think I'm not quite as immediately sold on it as I was on the first thing, but this is a really good Batman story. Totally get the impulse after following the rest of the Bat family to bring in with a Batman story. Makes total sense to do a Riddler story, given the movie and everything. Yeah. Um, and I was very surprised and pleased about the backup story, in particular, which focuses on Gotham Girl, oh, a character yeah. who otherwise could have been forgotten from Tom King's run on Batman. So I thought that was really interesting in particular. And also, just I'm all in on this type of anthology book where you have one big main story and a backup story. DC has been doing that for a lot of books and I love supporting that and I'm happy to support that. Um, so that's good right there. Let's move on and talk about new burn number six from image comics written by Chip Zdarsky art by Jacob Phillips, where the first couple of issues have followed new burn from the title. Right, this right, one right. focuses on his new partner and what went on with her back in the day and how we're going to lead into some very bad things, probably for both of them going forward. What do you think about this one, Pete? Yeah, this is, I mean, really great storytelling here. Like some really awesome, just kind of set them up, knock them down stuff here where it's like, we're getting these full page, like the date, you know, like, 2006 uh let's go back to it and i love the different art styles for each time period the way it ends and like you see a character kind of like do a double take and kind of like have this oh shit moment i felt like so seemed because i was like oh oh like it was such a cool moment that they did such a great job of like leaning up to uh yeah this has just been really impressive um, yeah, and uh, just so creative and so well done. This, this, is, this is a great package. You love saying it's a great package. Action Comics, number 1042, DC Comics, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson and Sean Aldridge, art by Ricardo Frederici and Adriana Mello. This is continuing the storyline of Superman and his allies on Warworld fighting against Mongol. The revolution has begun in this issue. And the backup story, we're wrapping up a story of Martian Manhunter. Pete, again, I know you're freaking out about this one on the live show. What jazzed you about it in particular? You, I mean, you want to talk about uh, a comic living up to its name, Action Comics? This is just fantastic to see kind of like Battle World Superman, like dealing with all the shit and like being such a badass. I absolutely love this. 
Philip Kennedy Johnson is just absolutely killing this. This is so much fun. This is so cool. The kind of world that they're kind of thrown into and how these heroes we know so well are dealing with this stuff is so really cool to see. And the art is bananas good. It brings us into such a cool world. The tone kind of like lets you know, like this is a different kind of Superman. Uh, this is so great. And that last panel of Mongo's face, like, holy shit. So I just love it. I think they, this really lives up to its name. Fucking quality, quality of DC product right here. I agree. This book is absolutely great. The art by Ricardo Frederici in particular is I mean, come phenomenal, on. over-the-top, career-defining work. So, great. That's good stuff. Let's move on and talk about The Scumbag, number 13, from Image Comics, written by Rick Remender, art by Roland Bashi. We are getting towards the end here of everything, wrapping up The Scumbag. We're finally getting to a point little bit of a spoiler here where the scumbag is making a decision about whether he wants to be a scumbag. Pete, this is something you've been looking forward to for a very long time with this book. Do you feel like it's finally paying off enough for you? Well, that's that's this thing. It's kind of like this thing of what side is the scumbag going to fall on? You know, he's been kind of fighting uh, uh, the whole time. Like, I don't want to help you. I just want to live my scumbag lifestyle. So it's nice to finally see choices being made. I'm nervous to see how it's going to unfold because you never know with Remender, man. Like, he loves to fuck with you. So uh, I'm very much enjoying uh, seeing the kind of character pushed into a place where he has to make some decisions. And hopefully uh, he won't live up to his name. I enjoyed this. This is the most bluntly satirical issue so far that really underlines the whole point of the thing Um, to the point. I mean, I'll just say this this is a spoiler, but it seems pretty clear that Rick Remender is like, hey, ever since the Twin Towers fell, we have been split into this culture war that is destroying America. And that's what he's almost explicitly saying in this issue. Um, it's been an undercurrent for the first 12 issues of the book, but it's almost outright stated here. Um, he had to get it out of his system. That's fine. I think we'll get back to it the next issue, and I'm curious to see what happens. But the art, as always, is very good. Uh, and folks, just to mention, we were going to talk about JLA Rock of Ages here as a throwback portion of the stack that was requested by somebody over on iTunes or NR45. Unfortunately, Justin couldn't be here for this taping, so we will tape it in the next episode as a review there. Yeah, because we want to have all three of us there for it. You know, that way you get the full kind of uh, comic book club. The yeah, exactly. Yes. Right. Uh, so, yeah, we will talk about that on the next Stock Podcast. Sorry for delaying that one. And thank you to everybody who has already dropped requests. If you would like to request a throwback graphic novel or trade collection or anything like that, just drop a rating and comment We got too many iTunes. already, Salves. You know what no, I mean? keep going, people. man. No, keep no, going. Man, we love it. We'll many. get through them. We'll get through them. Don't you worry, man. If you'd like to support the podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comics. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes. Don't die, man. I messed it up again. <laughs> I choose Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop, Dad. He is human, folks. <laughs>